Let us pray. Grant, O Lord, that because we have met together here today, life may grow greater for those who have lost faith in it, simpler for those who are confused by it, more secure for those who would escape it, happier for those who may be tasting the bitterness of it, safer for those who are feeling the peril of it, more friendly for those who are feeling the loneliness of it, and holier for all to whom life may have lost its dignity, its beauty, and its meaning. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Before we unpack the parable that Jesus offers this morning, let us set the stage. The Gospel of Matthew was written in the first century CE, a time of significant religious and political upheaval. The Jewish people were enduring Roman occupation, and as such things occur, the Jewish faith was evolving. This was a time when communities faced challenges to both their faith and their identity. And the Gospel of Matthew emerges as a response to these challenges. The destruction of the Second Temple in Jerusalem, where Jesus is supposedly sitting while telling the parable we heard today, caused immense turmoil among the Jewish people. Matthew himself was a former tax collector, and he wrote to a predominantly Jewish and Christian audience who were seeking to reconcile their faith in Christ with their heritage in Judaism. In today's gospel, Jesus is in the temple teaching both to the Jewish leaders and to that motley crew that had uh, been known as his followers. In his parable, we hear of a king who prepares a wedding feast for his son, and he invites many guests to partake in the celebration. These guests, though, those, of course, who were appropriate for a royal wedding, refuse the invitation for various absurd reasons, displaying a lack of interest or perhaps even contempt for the king's generosity. Such a response was not merely a snub, but it would have been a grave insult in the cultural milieu of the time. This underscores the heightened tension of the moment that Matthew finds himself writing. The parable's king, the feast to which those are invited, it serves as a symbol of divine invitation a theme which is echoed throughout the remainder of the parable. It is a parable all about invitation, invitation from God, and our response. It is a story that weaves together the threads of both hope, yes, but also judgment with important implications for how we choose to live our lives today. The rejection of those initial guests, many of whom were expected to be righteous, deserving, it stands as a stark reminder that God's grace is not limited by our human judgments. 
we may have our expectations and boundaries about who should be where and where should be. But God's love, God's love transcends it all. In fact, we are told in the parable that after these supposedly righteous and after these supposedly deserving people reject the invitation, the king goes out and invites the good and the bad, emphasizing even further in the parable that God's grace is offered to all, irrespective of their perceived worthiness. This parable underscores one of the themes of Matthew's gospel, which is a theme of radical inclusion. The notion of including both the righteous and the unrighteous, it wouldn't have just challenged that initial audience, but it challenges us as well. It challenges our understanding of grace and our assumptions about who belongs at God's table and who doesn't. In this parable, Jesus is encouraging the listeners to reevaluate their biases and their judgments. And it is a call to all of us, them, back then, and us today, to embrace all of God's children. This radical inclusivity, it may unsettle us. At the very least, it forces us to grapple with our own predispositions and prejudices. It is an invitation to examine how we, too, have constructed barriers that restrict access to God's love and to God's grace. It challenges us to ask ourselves, who have we deemed unworthy? to partake in the feast of God's boundless love. But of course, Jesus' parable is more than that. After the king throws open the doors and extends the invitation to all, the good, the bad, and perhaps even the ugly, we hear that there is one who catches the king's eye and it's because he's not wearing the right clothes. Now, full disclosure, it was not until recently that this made any sense to me. <laughs> After all, I'm thinking, the original guests say no, and so they go out onto the streets and they just grab anybody they can find. How was this one supposed to have the proper wedding attire? In a commentary I read titled, Playing with Fire, the commentator pointed out that if only one was singled out, that meant that everyone else had on that wedding robe. And they gathered that what must have occurred is that the king gifted to all those who came the wedding garment, that wedding robe. Which means this guest accepted the invitation 
and accepted the hospitality, which again, royal wedding was probably quite lavish, but refused to fully participate in the celebration. He refused to clothe himself in a manner fit for the circumstance. To quote said commentary, it would indicate impudent self-absorption, putting oneself above your benefactor. On the surface, it looks like the man is attending the feast, but his actions tell a different story. In truth, he is as absent from the gathering as the original invitees. If they were caught up in the self-important idols of their everyday responsibilities, like the farm and the business, the man without the robe, well, he demonstrates his own presumptuous, self-important, and upside-down priorities. It's worth asking, was he really there to celebrate? Or was he really only there to celebrate himself? It is a sobering reminder that acceptance of God's invitation necessitates transformation of the heart. It requires us to be changed by the grace that we receive from God and be clothed in humility, yes, but also joy and thanksgiving. Like the original hearers of this parable, we too live in a world of competing values, ideologies, and distractions. It is tempting, tempting, tempting to prioritize worldly pursuits over our spiritual life. Our culture often encourages us to prioritize personal success and material gain and individualism. And in doing so, we may unwittingly snub the divine invitation of God, just as those guests did. But here's where I take heart. The king in the parable, he doesn't give up. No, he asks again and again and again. And he asks more broadly and more fully than any of us could ever imagine. This parable reminds us that God's invitation is truly open to all, regardless of their status or their background or past mistakes. Here's the really good news. That includes us. Now, here's our warning, unless you've already found one. Jesus concludes the parable with these words. Many are called, few are chosen. Now, I'm telling you right now, that is a parabolic trap. It's a trap set within that parable, and we've got to be real careful here because humanity almost always falls for the trap. The moment we view ourselves as the few, you know, those chosen ones, 
the moment we view ourselves as the few, then that wedding garment that we put on as we entered into the celebration, it's like it's dropped off our shoulders. It is a rejection of that radical hospitality that God offers. When we look down our noses at those in the parable who initially refused the invitation, or, or when we look down our nose at the one who accepted the invitation but refused the robe, that's when we shed our robes, that robe of humility, of joy, of thanksgiving. And it's when we enter into the celebration of ourselves and not the joy of the invitation and where the invitation leads. Jesus starkly admonishes us to leave our hubris at the door. God's table, God's kingdom, God's heart, it is open to all. And it is a place where each and every one of us is invited. Invited to cast aside our prejudices, to welcome the stranger, and to embrace the change that can come into our life when we receive God's grace. We are encouraged to approach the feast with open hearts and minds, ready to be clothed in humility at being invited and join in a celebration of pure joy, pure thanksgiving. Y'all, we live in a really hard world. This isn't like unique to us. It was just as hard in Jesus' time as it is now with often the same issues. Turbulent waters that we are in. But God is our anchor. And the anchor that God offers is found in the radical inclusivity and transformative power of his grace. There is much to celebrate when we recognize that in God's kingdom, there is room for all, that all are welcome and all are invited. This gift, it is yours, it is mine, it is all of God's creation. Let us be humble enough to recognize it and embrace it. Amen. Amen.